0: Hello and welcome to Dan's Dabble and Babble. I'm your host Dan and I'm so excited you've decided to join me on this journey. Our vision for this podcast is really quite simple. I'm Dan. I like to chat with people. I like to talk to all kinds of people. I like to talk to people who are small. I like to talk to people who are tall. I like to talk to people who have built a wall. I didn't write this intro, so the rhyme starts, stops there. Each week, we promise to give you a guest. We won't sell it more than that, but as I dabble and babble, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your stories. I want to learn a little bit about life and just have a good conversation and hopefully make a few people like me along the way, because after all, that's really what having a podcast is all about. I'd like to introduce now someone who is very important behind the scenes and organizing a lot of the interviews that we'll have on Dan's Devil and Babel, And that is my producer, Dennis. Dennis, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. You kept referring to the we of the podcast, and I thought, when are you going to tell who the other part of the I that makes the we? And that is me. So we need, to get, I didn't write we need to get either. something. <laughs> we need to get something straight right off the bat, Dennis. If you're gonna be my producer, you need to recognize the difference between talent and production. You're gonna have to accept that you're gonna be behind the curtain a lot of the time. That Except is where for I'm these best introductions. Suited. Except for these introductions. I I will allow you to come out of your hole, out of your hovel, to have a little chat in these introductions. And so so this is your time to shine. So maybe it it, it might help enlighten our listeners as the producer of this podcast, what's, what's your vision? Our vision is going to grow as we go, because that's kind of how. Our vision is um, The my vision. When we de- started talking about this and developing what would become Dan's devil and bevel would be. Um, just you going down a fun romp with a guest that you don't know much about, but just want to have a good conversation with kind of like what you would have when you meet someone in a quiet bar around seven o'clock in the afternoon in a nice fire raging nice, by the entryway. Yes. Where you're just chatting it up with someone that you've, you've made a connection with and just want to discuss life's finer things. I think mean, that's a great description. So without further ado, we have a really exciting guest for our first episode and I've introduced him uh, at the beginning of the interview. So thank you for joining us. Please remember to rate us and subscribe and enjoy the inaugural episode of Dan's Dabble in Babble. Well, folks, when Dan's Dabble and Babble promises an exciting guest, we are here to deliver. The guest that joins us today, the author of several books, he's a novel by the name of Camp. A- a documentary video game book entitled Bible Adventures, His Mask. According to his website, he's also working on a poet collection I'm excited to talk about, and the founding editor of Boss Fight Books. But let me introduce him like a proper host, Mr. Gabe Durham. Gabe, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing
1: great. What a nice introduction. Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> thank you so much, and thank you <laughs> for joining show so just kind of want to get started with um kind of the general obvious question in these times what's what's going on in life now how's panic looking for you and uh what, uh what are you excited about right now
1: yeah quarantine life's been um interesting i've been adding new stuff <laughs> to my uh to my indoor life this year um I'm taking care of a new dog named Coco, um, and she's been really fun to get to know. Um, and she's been through a rigorous training program. So I got her, and she like, went away for a while. And so when you say rigorous
0: and, yeah. rigorous training program, what what kind of rigor are we talking through?
1: Well, she's fully um, e collar trained now, which is so she's kind of like a really big, strong dog. Uh, so, you know, part of the like challenge with these dogs is to just kind of like make sure that (laughs) you can, uh, be the one in charge. And so, um, so she's been through that. She's also just knows a lot of commands now. Um, and we got onto a really good, like daily routine that I try not to deviate from too much. Um, it's working really well for her, but luckily routine this year is a lot easier than it used to be.
0: <laughs> there you um, go. That's, that's the perfect time. So I take it you've got lots of time at home to spend to spend with Coco.
1: Lots of time at home with Cocoa. Um, I have added Duolingo German to um, okay. the regimen, um, which is which might you know uh, come out to being my my game of the year in terms of hours, and it is the <laughs> most like gamified language learning <laughs> experience I've ever had, mostly in a good way um
0: well but- i applaud you for being able to stick with that i tried to Duolingo thing myself and i'll have about three solid months where i'm really getting into the swing of things and then i just kind get busy and put it up and then never again so how's the how's how's your german are you
1: ready to to go over to
0: germany and and start up
1: boss fight germany <laughs> i think i need to keep plugging away before boss fight germany really kicks off it's um <laughs> it's well but really what i need is like eventually i'm gonna leap into having awkward stilted and incorrect conversations with people um well luckily in person but uh, luckily the germans are super
0: giving when it comes to that kind of thing so i think you're you're i think so
1: too yeah i um i've i've encountered that uh, because i i worked on it um i first started learning a little bit in college and so um i found like they were they were were really nice and uh (laughs) forgiving about all my mistakes at the time well there you go uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I've got those things. I've got, uh, I'm, I'm like, I, I've, I've got like my home. I've, I've gone from like gym workouts to home workouts, and that took some figuring out, but I've kind of got my, my thing down, uh, there. I, you know, um, plan that is, and you're, so you live in, uh, LA. Is that? I live in LA. Yes. Yeah. So, Hollywood.
0: so you've got the benefit weather is not still this time of year that you can kind of out of your home and do something outside or do you do much Are you? actually A home gym all the time type of guy.
1: Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm out a little every day. It's kind of what it, for actually like while kind of in the middle of the summer heat was when I was in my, my um, hiking a lot phase where I would just go to the um, Griffith observatory path and just, uh, which is one of the best hikes in LA and just go do that. Like for a while, it was almost every day. <laughs> it's just like, as long as I just keep hiking it out and huffing and puffing, then I'm going to get through this. And um, now now I'm more like indoor workout video um, phase, but I, I'll probably bounce back in, but you're right. I, I love, like this is the time to be in LA. Like being being here in the winter and the, like the sun is currently shining and I can go outside and I just was and yeah it helps
0: that's that's the time to do it I mean well, I uh grew up in the midwest moved to Florida in July and everybody was saying you can get through the heat which I absolutely love heat and humidity will say that 75 degrees no humidity in December able to go for a run outside and especially this year with anything shut down normal routine so askew just being able to get out and Go on those runs as my saving all of this, so I definitely uh, hear, hear you on
1: that. seeing oh, man. the sunshine,
0: absolutely. seeing yeah, the sunshine,
1: and, and even the little like uh, cocoa walks twice a day. It's like yeah, it really helps.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And and there you've got that excuse. You literally have to leave your house unless you dog mess all over the place. So <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> having that is important. Now I, I uh, listened to a recent um of yours that you did on Dub Podcast. Uh um, and something that you talked about really resonated with me uh, that I wanted to delve into a little bit more. Um, because you talked about um kind of your experience of how you got to uh, starting books and that you were a graduate that was really yourself on uh the professor. Track. And so the reason that resonated with me is so I am a chemist by aid uh, oh. and I um, so did the grad school thing, actually was in a tenure track professor position, but there is nothing like grad school and the early academia to really make you question what you actually want to do with yourself. and then once you get <laughs> kind of deeper into academia, at least my experience was, so I've actually left the higher ed system at this oh, point. Oh, interesting. Um, so I, I, I wondered if you could talk about that period in your life and kind of how that influenced to to want to take up something about fight books and how that led to what you're doing now
1: sure well I I think you know what kind of kicked off uh that journey was just um my love of writing which has been with me for um a long time and um you know I did it casually as a kid and then started taking it more seriously in college and then Somebody tipped me off to what uh, an MFA was and I just started getting really excited about that possibility. And honestly, like that's one of the most kind of enjoyable experiences of my life was getting to go spend three years um, reading and writing a whole lot and uh, meeting like really interesting, creative people and being kind of like challenged by them and um, in, and in, in like friendly competition with them and kind of everybody making each other's work better. Um it was pretty cool. And then, but that was, and and that was kind of what I hoped would happen, but what, you know, paid my way through it was I was teaching there at the college, um, UMass Amherst uh, the whole time. And so what they need is not like so many creative writers. They need a few to teach that, but mostly they need people to teach freshman composition. So I was part of this um, group of um, freshman composition uh, teachers and, I found that there was a part of me that really liked that, you know, that really um, particularly like the in class stuff and connecting with students and getting to know them and kind of have that back and forth was was really exciting. I think the, the worst part about it was. Um, Particularly in, in English classes like that, it's just like the stack of papers is, pre- is pretty, uh, and you kind of it kind of like weighs heavy on your heart every time. If you if you've got a stack of papers at home, you just kind of like think about it throughout the day. But oh, really, oh, yeah, <laughs> you probably really to that. Um, and 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 that is a class that is about the drafting process, and mm-hmm. so um, you know about uh, starting with uh, work that you know in the first draft is you know as as Anne lamont says is is a shitty first draft and then you work your way to success draft by draft and i really believe in that and and that's certainly something i've been able to take with me since then and um so i was teaching that and then after grad school, I continued to teach um, college classes um, individually as an adjunct professor. And so I did that at um, several schools, um, you know, one community college, uh, a couple of uh, private schools, both in Massachusetts and LA and, and briefly in Nashville. Um, and, you know, my, my kind of good faith uh, contract with the universe that i felt i was, <laughs> was uh yeah i, I know that, that this pay is terrible but i'm getting experience and i'm working my way toward you know the the full-time big boy job and when you i get fell mad, for the
0: higher know, ed pyramid it, my, I, I, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and that's and like and, and pyramid scheme is pretty close. <laughs> unfortunately like once you look at the number of us that were out there you know on the track that I exactly was on and, and I felt at the time, like, yes, I, I, I kind of, I know that there are a lot of people who want this, but also uh, I'm doing pretty well when, you know, when I look at um, my like publishing record, you know, I'm getting a lot of stuff published in journals, you know, and then, okay, I've got my first book that's going to come out so I can start putting that on my CV and one of the things I think sort of dried up, particularly after the like 2008 crash was people didn't want to, or not people, but colleges didn't want to pay for full-time professors at any time that they can um, not, (laughs) you know, if like, it's, it's, it winds up, it's kind of, and and that, that, you know, winds up being, I I found, and and, and I think is still true to an extent, like, I'm often surprised um, people uh, how many people who are either in college or college graduates who don't know just how many of the people who they kind of consider like oh that was my professor Mm. Um, that was like an adjunct who was paid really poorly and was and they and they did a good job but they probably did a good job just because like they wanted to do a good job for you you know they 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 consider your uh, your education important
0: and. That's one of the mm-hmm. things that I found so frustrating, kind of going through the process myself, is when you get to the of the track position. Also, just so much administrative work takes your attention away from mm. teaching undergraduates. So the really quality education, it's it's kind of one of those things that I really think it's it's a skill. Um, you have to be You have to kind of be in touch with. Vibe of a classroom, and you're going to knock it out of the and you're going to figure out how to teach, or you're doing it because you have to, and you're just kind of to the next part of your day with that. Uh, but they really do an excellent job. Uh, maybe excellent is the best way to phrase this, but they do an excellent job <laughs> kind of shielding the reality of the adjunct positions. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a very effective job. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. Uh, it, but but like you said, if, if you're someone who is wanting to teach so badly that you're going to take an adjunct and you're someone who really wants to be there, you're it's gonna weigh on you if email from a student sits in your inbox you don't reply to it. It's it's I, I totally get that. So there's there's a lot of um abuse it's kind of the, the nature of the people that really want to teach, really do it as they genuinely care. And there's so many people that wanna do it that it has become this horrible exploitative just
1: cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And that was like, you know, that was pretty painful to learn because even as I was realizing that I was also getting better at teaching and developing a set. Um, right. And, and so it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're kind of digging into it more on one side and it'll, realizing more about the CD underbelly on the other side. And so, um, by the time I, um, eventually moved back to Los Angeles, um, I was I was pretty eager to get a new thing going, <laughs> and and mm. I really wasn't sure what that was going to look like. I knew that I still loved writing and wanted to keep going, um, and that was around the time when um, when when my first book was about to come out. So I was excited for that, you know, mm. and I was planning uh, a little tour <laughs> in the East Coast with my friend that was, um, uh, you know, that ultimately we're probably uh, spending a little more money on than we were making from book sales, but, uh, you know, we had a blast with that and was kind of uh, working on getting my name out there more. Uh, but as a career, it was, yeah, it was just a kind of a big open question of like, so what is, what is the new thing? And that's, I think that, that <laughs> hunger is kind of what, uh, indirectly led me to, to boss fight books as a project.
0: So, so one thing that I when I say that still, about that story for me is the fact that you're able to reflect on your time in grad school in such a polite. Personally, I'm mm. hoping to get there eventually. I defended this past summer. So mm. still the ones are still there for me, but I, I think that's that's great that you're able to reflect on that. And so so you uh, have been led to this uh, kind of boss fight book. And one thing that I'm really curious about and one thing that is so daunting about writing about video games uh, and publishing books, video games, which is of course what your company does, if you are throwing yourself into the middle of some very passionate fandoms mm. uh, <laughs> who are not necessarily the most open-minded people to have a discussion about uh, something that they're very passionate about. So what have been your experience with the reception of, of different fans? and? Obviously, it's kind of different than the blogosphere, where comment section necessarily on your book, and maybe uh, being able to to kind of have that full narrative to kind of uh, make a point. Uh, maybe maybe that affects how it's as well. But what but what's been part of the experience like for you?
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You're right, um, and I I learned that pretty early on, or maybe, you know, there was a part of me that already knew it going into it, but I also wasn't a part of video game culture until I started boss by books. I just was kind of a casual fan who, um, depending on, you know, what year it was and how much like stuff he had going uh, was, was kind of paying attention or not really paying attention. So I had a lot of catching up to do. And yeah, one of the things that that came up was, you know, (laughs) Holy shit, this is, this is, this is a passionate fandom, in 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 all the good and bad ways that you'd expect and it you know and in fact like it was probably only a year into the project of boss fight books that um that Gamergate happened and that was um you know that was an education to kind of watch that um you know mostly from the sidelines and and be like oh you know like this so so (laughs) so this is how toxic um some of it is um but I think, you know, you kind of nicely like intuited your way to it in, in, in the sense of like, it is different to write a book. And a book is a long space. And a book can 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 a book can ideally like either cast a spell or create an argument that kind of unfolds through time or can kind of toe the line between uh, it, it can be ambivalent. Uh, if it wants, it can like make a point and then make the opposite point. It, there's, there's so much that a book can do because there's so much space. And and as you say, there's no comment section. I also think though that, um, you know, the, the Venn diagram of people who regularly read books and um, particularly maybe like, you know, critical and historical books that are um, – Th- that are trying to be ambitious and all that and the venn diagram of gamers you know it's not it's not that it's small but there's i think a lot of the most toxic people probably like also just aren't totally book people and so sure,
0: that's a week that's a great you're probably not sit down with, with a full book just with the purpose of getting mad and uh, <laughs> flame comment uh on uh reddit or something so that <laughs> there's probably some shielding there i would i would think. yeah yeah
1: but I think the people who do like read a particular book of ours and, and and get angry um, it's often, you know, it's often the ones that um, aren't quite as deferential to the game itself. Like, um, you know, sometimes like our Metal Gear Solid book, um, you know, you'll, you'll see some trash talk online because it goes back and forth on like the, the really great things about that game and um, the, Mm the, the not so great things and kind of the the duality of Kojima is such an interesting and smart and, but, but flawed creator. And um, so, you know, yeah, I think you're always going to, I think you're always going to run into people who just want you to be fawning. And so that's one contingent. And then mm. I also find, you know, there's always going to be people who don't like the fact that, we try to do a different thing every time with the books Um, and I've, and I've heard somebody has uh, recently complain, like, well, the problem with boss fight books is you never know what you're getting. And I, and I agree that that is a thing with boss fight books that was baked in at the very beginning, because like, I, I'm, I'm really into the idea of a body of work that, you know, like that somebody could read all of our books and, and, ideally not get bored because we are trying to cover different topics um, and from different angles um, from book to book. And um, that's really exciting to me, but I can well, see yeah, how I, I would if...
0: think that would keep, keep it fresh. I can see if you're the same thing over and over, then it's uh, it, it would get very stale from your point of view, especially get very stale having to edit kind of the same formulaic over and over. Uh, but I yeah. guess it, it, it is a it, video game so interesting because when you're first exposure to a video game, you're dealing with people all across the spectrum, but it's such a nostalgic thing, for people that if you're looking for just something that's going to be uh, fluff and uh, just remind you of the kind of good experiences of being a kid playing this game that you really wanted to. Mm, mm-hmm. And that's what you're ex- from boss. Vibe. It goes from uh, different, different uh, perspectives. Different, different perspective then yeah it's it's, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea but I, I do think that that you're able to cover so much more interesting ground by um kind of being yourself the freedom to to just find what's interesting
1: i hope so and i and i think one thing that does excite me is like people who are really on board for that project and if we can kind of like over the years create sort of an elastic readership who's like oh i wonder I wonder what the take is going to be, or I wonder what the angle is going to be um, on this game, then, you know, that, that kind of like openness and receptivity is like, that's, <laughs> I think that's like what all writers want um, oh, from yeah. their readership.
0: Yeah, of course. And so that, that it does bring up kind of another point that I have for you, which you, so you've written two books uh, for boss fight books and, um most of the time you're at. so kind of what what do you like more about one versus the other um and do you have uh it anything else? i know your uh, latest book you just released a couple of months ago um uh, but what are, are there any projects in the pipeline that you're just really jazzed about that you want to uh talk a little bit about at this point
1: Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, think they are like, it is so different <laughs> to be uh, uh, putting on the hat of like the writer and um, of the editor. And yeah, you're right. Most of the time it's, it's the editor hat. Um, and, you know, I, I, think like it, it kind of doesn't get better than getting to write a book. <laughs> I, I think, sure. I mean, I, I love sure, it sure. As, as a form. And, and so um, probably a lot of, like, the the best time that I've had um, in the larger project of Boss Fight has just been writing my two books, you know, and, like, getting to take my time with them and going to go, like, outside the system a little bit and, like, kind of not have to even get the approvals of other people, but just be, like, you know, quite particularly on that first book. In you know, my second book, is about a Zelda game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a game with a lot of fans. <laughs> but in the first book, I was like... I'm going to write about a bunch of obscure Bible games that a lot of people don't even know, <laughs>
0: which I love. I love the story of how you, um, were even exposed to these Bible games. So do you want to, do you want to say how, how did these oh, games sorry. initially come to your, to your universe? Cause not everybody is racing to the shelves, obviously to pick up a Bible video game.
1: <laughs> well, um, at this, so when I was a kid, um, my first game system was the original nes and at the time you know games were really expensive um they were uh, they were 50 or 60 bucks back then which with inflation (laughs) is a lot right and you could maybe rent a game for the weekend um but that was probably four or five bucks as well and so the hunger as you know a kid who's like learning just how fun video games can be <laughs> like the hunger for new content is so real in that time. And so um, I grew up going to church. My dad was a preacher um, and, and at our church, there was just this cart of little books um, that kids could pick out. And most of them were Bible stories and that kind of thing. And yet there were just a couple of Nintendo games that were right there in that cart and so it kind of blew my mind that there were actual playable Nintendo games that I could take home for free from church as long as I checked them out. So I think I did it several times. <laughs> you just go and, and put your name on the little card. And then those, those games were um, two of the games from, from the uh, this company, Wisdom Trees Catalog, that I wound up writing the book about, Bible Adventures and Joshua. And... You know, I, looking back, and so much of what the book is <laughs> is like how weird those games are, right. um, and how derivative. And you know, there's um, s- some of them are kind of bad <laughs> and like not very fun to play. But at the time, what I was really thinking was just like, oh, it's so nice to be playing a new game. And and you know, the Bible Ventures game it was heavily uh, based on um, the mechanics of Super Mario Bros. Two, which was one of the like two games that i owned at the time and mm-hmm. so like i was already like oh i know how to do this this is so exciting and then um, the joshua game was kind of more like a zelda kind of cave crawler sort of thing and so it, you know and so i just had this perverse fascination with the games they looked different than all the other nintendo games and i didn't know why and i and i eventually you know through my research learned about the world of of unlicensed um Nintendo games, which was a gray area legally. Yeah. And it was so, so for me, writing that book was such a like fun chance to return to these artifacts of my childhood and learn everything I could about how they were made and why and how they made their money and, and to interview the guys who made them and, um, and all that. So that was, that was a, a lot of fun. But, you know, to, so, so, yeah, to, but to go back to your original question, I think like I think what's really cool about editing these books over time, um when I'm not the writer is like I may have a way that uh, I like to write books or that, you know the kind of books I like to read. And yes, like I will kind of nudge things toward that vision. I do everything I can on all the books, too. Um, make them as as good as as they can be but also like the fact that these books are from all these different people from all these different backgrounds it just like it creates this wealth of perspective that i could never bring to the project even if i was somehow fast enough to write you know like 30 books um across seven years or you know something crazy like they would all be Gabe Durham books. But instead, I think like what you get from our shelf is like something a lot richer and weirder and wilder. And, um, and certainly for me more surprising, because eventually, you know, if you're, you're if you were to read all those books, you'd like, know my tricks pretty well by the end. And, uh, you know, you would know, my voice and my personality, and I might start repeating myself. But, you know, instead, we've just got these different really interesting people showing up every time. And, um, and some are more historical and some, some get into memoir and some are like very analytical. And, um, you know, we, we published this book this year about red dead redemption. That was, you know, as, as much about the history and the legacy of the Western in America as it was about this particular Western video game. And it was just, um, that was like such a great example to me of like, oh man, like, and, and Matt, the writer, he's so smart. And it, it's, it's, it's just, um, I never could have written it, you know, and I sure. love that I never could have written
0: it. And that has been and obviously give any specifics or uh, quite frankly answer the question if you don't want to, but has ever been an experience that you've had with a writer where mid projects you're kind of like, what has, has this project more where you've really just kind of been like, this is, and it taking it and you're just been, nervous about where the direction is going or do you typically kind of vet enough that uh, the, the premise is uh, well designed from the get-go and you kind of know more or less the shape of what the final project is going to be by the time you kind of green light a project?
1: Well, I think there is a lot of uh, nervousness and that's no knock on the authors at all. It's just, <laughs> it's maybe just like a knock on myself for <laughs> the way that I am inside, but I, I think, um, the, the, you know, the nervousness comes from, I think there's, there's a couple ways to run a press. One is, and, and usually, like, if I ran a, a fiction imprint, I would probably just have an open reading period or I would have agents send me books. And, and those books would, they might not be done, done, but they would be sure. a complete draft. And I would mm-hmm. use that complete draft to either decide, yes, I want to publish this book or no. But instead... Um, I am accepting pitches for future books from people who usually I don't already know. And, um, and and so we're kind of like starting at the very beginning of this kind of long road of developing a book. And so, yeah, there, there are plenty of twists and turns. You know, we've had, um, you know, sometimes a thing happens where we think going into the book that um that we are going to have access to particular people usually creators um that kind of thing where it's like so some of the book we're going to you know structure around interviews with those particular people and that's going to give us uh, an opportunity to talk about xyz and for whatever reason sometimes those people fall through um and so there can be like a refocusing that happens where so it's like okay, well, we don't have that, but what do we have? And and sometimes that can like lead to uh, like new exciting things that um and, and like a new angle on a book that like oh this would have been a different book had this happened, and it's cool to you know think about like what that book would have been, but instead we get this one and and you know like um for instance like I uh, with like the the Kingdom Hearts book. Um, the uh author uh alexa had a um ha- had kind of gotten the okay from the creator to to talk to him um but disney noped it they're like no we don't we don't want people you know we we don't we don't want him like talking about this uh, for the book so they once they kind of inserted themselves um sure. with their with their powerful mighty you know, mickey from, mouse from, from, from disney. I, can't, I can't believe that they <laughs> do that <laughs> um then uh it was kind of like oh well it it, it," she kind of took it more as an opportunity she's like well i really like have a lot of analytical stuff that i want to do about the characters and themes in in the game and you know we said okay great and so she made the book about that and so it became less of a making of kind of thing and more uh analytical and that kind of you know reshifting based uh, based on that stuff can uh, can happen all the time. Uh, and we've also had sort of like the opposite kind of thing happen of like, oh, I, once I started reaching out to people, I got such a wealth of material that now it's kind of less from this other perspective and more like there's so much story to tell that I want to want to tell the story of creation and, and legacy and that kind of thing.
0: Sure. I mean, the entire is from, from the pitch to the selection to work with these different authors. I think it, it really is such a fresh business model. And I I, just anybody that is pumping books out into the world, I think is is making the world a little bit better. So I, from a personal note, just love to see companies like boss fight books and wish you nothing but the success. We are kind of wrapping up in our moments here. So I want to give you an opportunity to uh, plug anything you want to plug any projects that you haven't talked about. uh, What's what's getting you,
1: Gabe? Great. Right. Well, I'd love to just uh, mention a couple of things that are on the horizon. So, um, the the book that comes out next is Silent Hill Two by Mike Drucker, and um, that's that's another like really analytical book. And it's um, I, th- I think people could be surprised if the main thing that they know is that Mike Drucker is a comedian, and he's currently like head writer of uh, Samantha Bee, um, and so he's like got all these. TV credits for how funny he is, but Silent Hill Two is not a funny game. <laughs> right, I <laughs> and was going to say
0: that's a bit of a twist.
1: It is a twist, and so and and um and there there are some like very funny jokes in the book, but uh, I think like what I love is like the raw sincerity that he brings to it and the analysis of um of the game itself and and the characters in the game and um sometimes kind of applying it. Uh, to to some stories from his own life. Um, and so yeah, I, I just think it's a really it's a really great, um, honest book. And, and so I'm excited for people to read that. And then um and then the next one is is one that's been in the works for a really long time for us. And that's our Final Fantasy VI book. Okay. And um so, uh, so we've already put out um one one book about a Final Fantasy game, which is um Final Fantasy V. And so for this one, you know, particularly since we'd done that. Um, but also because we kind of had, we'd wanted to do like a music book for a long time because I think like video game music is so interesting and is often such like an important part of what makes a game itself. And so th- this, this book is about, um, the, the soundtrack to final fantasy six, um, and, and kind of digs in deep into the score and, and follows, um, and follows kind of the themes for each of the, like the musical themes uh, for each of the characters in the game. And it's a game with a big uh, cast. And so it's kind of like looking at what those songs can kind of tell us about the character and how they relate to the story of the game. So it kind of goes back and forth from like character in place to music again and again um, in, in a really interesting way. And that's by Sebastian Deacon, um, and so we're just wrapping up uh, the the editing work on on that right now. Um, and I'm really excited to um, to share that with everybody.
0: Well, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for the time for this interview. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, again, you've get, got so many interesting hats that you wear. So uh, thank you once again from Dan's Dabble and Babble.
1: Thanks so much, Dan.